True crime friends, welcome to this very late episode of True Crime in Academia. As always, I am your host, Mary DePippi. I am so sorry that this episode is late uh, this week. Um, as many of you know from the social media, I have gotten a new job. So my schedule's been a little wonky. And because of that, that's why the episode is late. But you are looking... At a new marketing intern. Yes. I know it's an internship, but I'm very excited because in college, instead of going for a teaching certificate, I decided to go for a professional writing certificate. So I chose that because I've just always been interested in marketing and advertising. Um, Obviously, as a creative writer, you know, my main drive is creative writing, be it novels short stories, poems, what have you. However, you know, like I said, I chose that writing certificate just because I thought that that was another way that I could use my creative brain. And not to say like as a backup plan, but kind of like in addition to plan, you know, because today it can never hurt to have, you know, multiple income streams. So, You know, but anyway, I'm very excited. I am really enjoying this job so far. It is very different from everything, anything really that I've ever done before. And it's really, really cool. I really like it. I really like the workflow. I like the projects that I'm getting to work on, even though it's just the first week, you know, but everything so far, I just, I really, really like. So I'm very excited about this, this career move here. So But I do know that, like, obviously, this episode is late. And I am putting, like, certain practices into place so that way that might, that shouldn't happen again. Um, But you never know. We'll see. I'm going to (laughs) try. I also just drank my coffee. Like, I had a huge cup of coffee. And with the changing of the seasons and that huge cup of coffee, my sinuses are just, like, screaming right now. So I apologize. I'm going to try and get like edit out all of my sniffles but (laughs) that you know it might you might hear a couple so I apologize in advance for that also I have news for you guys well kind of sort of I've been meaning to like announce this uh like a couple weeks ago but I just either kept forgetting or I forgot to ask this person but as some of you may know ivory tower boiler room listeners you know we got new interns yeah With the start of the new school year, we got new interns. And guess what? True Crime and Academia has their very own intern. Her name is Rosie. She is just absolutely wonderful. Honestly, I don't know that I would have been able to get an episode out this week if it weren't for her help. She is just incredible. Um, You may or may not be seeing her on social media. She might make an appearance here. I don't know yet. But... Mostly just because we haven't talked about it. But she exists. She is the True Crime and Academia intern. And like I said, she is just wonderful. So, shout out to Rosie. And thank you for all of your hard work. I appreciate you so much. Now, this case this week that Rosie helped me on 
it is very similar to the Ronald Tammen Jr. case and his disappearance. In the fact that it's just like he disappeared without a trace. So, and like, I hate to say like the police work. Well, no, I don't hate to say that. The police work was kind of shoddy. And we'll get into that. But yeah, there are a lot of similarities, I feel like, between this case and the Ronald Tammen Jr. case. So, without any further ado, let's get into it. In most universities, the last day of classes can mean relief, but it also means that final exams are only days away. Students can choose to study hardcore or party it up before their week of doom. And in 1999, the students of Dykstra Hall at UCLA chose the latter. One freshman in particular decided to end his night of drinks and relaxation by playing a computer game with a friend who only just lived a couple doors down in the dorm building. After the game ended at 4 a.m., he left his dorm to congratulate his friend on winning. But unbeknownst to anyone else, that would be the last time anyone would see him. The next morning, his roommate woke up to an empty room. And on December 10th, 1999, 19-year-old Michael Negrette was officially declared missing. Michael William Negret, which I think is how you pronounce that, and if not, I completely apologize. I did try to find how to pronounce his name, but I just could not find anything that verbally said it. So I, I'm trying. I'm sorry. But anyway, Michael William Negret was born on March 25th, 1981, to Mary and Miguel Negret. He was one of three boys born to the Negret family, and I had to do some digging because it wasn't as obvious, but Michael was the oldest of the three boys. Michael grew up in a happy, loving home. He was described as happy, funny, creative, and fun-loving. He had a loud laugh and would say dupe whenever he was happy. He watched The Simpsons and was an avid gamer. And it said that he played both PC and console games however it seems like he might have liked pc games a little bit more just based off of what i've read about him he was also in a band called ivan he was also in a band called island fever where he played the trumpet and the steel drum fun fact he learned the steel drum or he learned how to play the steel drum from a friend in middle school now in high school he joined the marching band at his high school called ranch bernardo high school during his senior year Michael became a member of the San Diego Youth Orchestra as a trumpet player, which, that's a big deal. And it didn't go unnoticed, because he received a scholarship from UCLA for music in 1999. Not that he wouldn't have been easily accepted anyway, because he was also very smart and really committed to his academics and was a straight-A student. I have to say, like, in my research, I have to, like, this is probably the most detail about a victim's life that I've seen in a long time I feel like it's not common to get this much information about a victim but I was pleasantly surprised you know to see all these different interests that he had you know because like I said I don't often see you know these types of things or at least for a victim because obviously most Media outlets are focused on the crime and not the life before. So the fact that I was able to find all this, like I said, I was happy about. Michael was finishing up his first semester of his freshman year when he went missing. 
which is, you know, I say it all the time. It's just, it's heartbreaking. You know, he had just started his college career. He didn't even make it to finals, which is, again, you know, I say this all the time about victims and, you know, it just is sad that he didn't even take his finals or finish because he disappeared. And, you know, given what we know about Michael, obviously it seems like he was not the type of guy who would just run away from finals. <laughs> I mean, he was so like, he had straight A's. So he's not running from anything. He knows what to do. He knows the information. So it's not like he was running away from finals to avoid a bad grade. Which, honestly, I would expect that behavior actually more of an upperclassman and not for a freshman. I feel like as a freshman, you're like so nervous and so excited to be in college and to be starting this new education journey and freedom of being on your own for the first time. That I can't say that like many like that that would be a personality trait of a freshman. It seems more like of an upperclassman thing to skip out on finals. But again... You know, I'm generalizing. (laughs) On December 9th, the students of Dykstra Hall decided to celebrate the end of classes with a party. A typical way to celebrate the end of classes, I might add. (laughs) Michael participated in this party and indulged in some underage drinking. I saw it seemed like he had a margarita or something like that. Very nice. Now, you know, I'm not saying that I condone underage drinking, Like we've discussed a few weeks ago, your brain isn't fully formed until you're 25. So it's probably not the best thing for your developing brain to just keep, you know, drinking alcohol at that young. But I'm also not going to sit here and act like I've never done it. (laughs) We used to have a thing called Tequila Tuesdays in college. So, like, I get it. And I get the appeal. And I'm not judging Michael at all. I'm not judging any of these people at all. I'm just pointing out, like, the facts about underage drinking. That's all. Also, I have to say, I am curious as to how they pulled this off because the RAs that I had in college, like, they were on it. They (laughs) did not miss a beat. I remember there was one time I was at, like, a small, small gathering at a friend's dorm and we were drinking. And me and a few friends actually had to hide, like, in the closet and in the bathrooms because the RAs fucking found out and shut it down. So it sounds like either this dorm building had a whole party and didn't get caught which is impressive or like the RAs joined in or they just don't care like I don't know what's up with these RAs clearly they were able to have a party and get away with it so good for them I guess (laughs) so like I said Michael attended the storm party and at some point during the night he left which I think I saw somewhere it was around 3 a.m but I didn't see it everywhere so you know that Parts could be up for debate. But at some point, anyway, in the early morning, he left and went back to his dorm to play a game online with one of his neighbors down the hall. Now, the game that he was playing was an online multiplayer called Quake. When the game ended, Michael went out into the hallway to congratulate his neighbor on his win. He even made a joke about, like, a rematch and that he would beat him in the net, you know, when they rematched and stuff. He's like, yeah... I'll get you in the next one kind of a thing. When he went back to his dorm, his roommate was there and he was actually drifting off into sleep. And this was around 4.30 a.m. 
This is the last time anyone would see Michael again. At 9 a.m., Michael's roommate woke up alone. All of Michael's belongings, including his wallet, his keys, and his ID, all of his clothes and shoes, I mean, well, the ones he wasn't wearing anyway, and his instruments were all accounted for. So, like, where did he go? Over the weekend, though, no one was really concerned because it's the weekend, you know, and I'm not blaming the roommate. I just want to say that up front. I am not blaming this roommate for not being concerned. Like I said, it was the weekend. It could have been one of those things where it's like, you know, they just keep missing each other at the dorm. You don't, you know, they're 18 and 19 years old. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I'm not sure that it crossed Michael's roommate's mind that something could be seriously wrong. You know, like I said, it could have just been a situation that he thought that maybe they were missing each other. You know, maybe they just weren't friends like that. So maybe they hung around in different circles and just assumed that Michael was staying with someone else. You never know. I mean, there are a number of reasons why you wouldn't immediately suspect that something was wrong in this situation. You know, so... Nor would you really want to assume that something is wrong. I think maybe us true crime, <laughs> us true crime people are just hypersensitive to that. But I feel like the rest of the population isn't. That Monday, when Michael didn't show up for his final, the school became concerned. Obviously, given his track record, this was not at all normal behavior. The school contacted his parents, who agreed with them that, like, yeah, this is not normal for Mike to just skip and not show up to class especially without telling anyone things like that so they immediately reported him missing now it was also reported that he had missed a performance at panic all-stars in mission vallejo which again not like michael because you know he had a performance this was something that he liked he was in a band he you know it's not like he was someone who played musical instruments but like didn't want to show his ability off he very much enjoyed that he was in an orchestra I mean like I said earlier he was in the San Diego Youth Orchestra and I am sure like most performing art disciplines and organizations as such there is a high value on showing up to rehearsal showing up to performances you know so the idea that he would just miss, and again, not say anything to anyone, is not at all like him. Hey, true crime friends. You've heard me talk about my amazing friend Mandy before. She makes the best crochet, pre-cut, and custom home decor for reasonable prices. If you're looking for a one-of-a-kind gift or some new decor to add some new life into your home, Look no further. Mandy has got you. I have quite a few items from her, ranging from a crocheted headband to Halloween decor items to my amazing and adorable Coraline ornament. Um, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm like obsessed with Coraline and I just love how Mandy makes it. She's also made me a Coraline doll that sits next to all of my true crime books. To order, just slide in her DMs on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E, -E, Made It, on Facebook and Instagram. Once again, go to Mandy Made It on Facebook and Instagram. Send her a DM and order today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the 
must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, if you remember from the Ronald Hammond Jr. case, he was also a musician. He also played instruments. One of the things that they said was that Ronald Hammond had his car on campus and his instruments were inside his car. Cheryl... Again, just similarities. I don't think they went to the same. No, they didn't go to the same school. But still, you know, it's just eerie, I guess, in some ways. During the initial investigation, officials couldn't find anything out of the ordinary. Michael didn't have a car on campus, so it's not like he drove away. After doing some investigating into Mike's background, they concluded that he didn't disappear voluntarily. He didn't have some secret life, he didn't have issues with family or friends, and nothing in his life had drastically changed, so he wasn't running away from anything. Desperate for clues, police enlisted bloodhounds, who led police across campus to a bus stop, but they found nothing. Now, I did see another source that said the docks stopped abruptly, and that the police found a few pieces of evidence but that that information was never released to the public about what they found. I can't say for sure, you know, obviously one way or the other. However, I wouldn't put it past police to hold that information close to the chest, even after all of these years. So, you're on a while. Now, investigators went on to say that the dogs were confused and therefore unreliable. But literally in every single source that Rosie and I looked at, there was, they didn't say why. They didn't say that there was a specific reason as to why they thought <laughs> the dogs were wrong. And, you know, I'm not saying that dogs are, like, perfect and whatnot, you know. I think we've discussed in certain episodes about, or no, actually, it was discussed in the Casey Anthony subscriber-only episode. So if you are not a subscriber, you should go and do that now so you can watch that episode. But in that episode... We talk about how the cadaver dogs weren't necessarily reliable um, just because, like humans, they can, they can error, you know, they can err. So, you know, in that way, I guess I get it. But at the same time, kind of like, why wouldn't you put the exact reason as for why, in this situation anyway, the dogs were unreliable? That didn't make sense to me. And at no point in my research did I come across the fact that, like, police spoke with the bus company or, you know, any other type of other surveillance around this bus stop. <laughs> like, they didn't ask anyone at the bus stop that was there, like, oh, have you seen this person here? Or, you know, and they didn't go to the bus company to find out who the bus driver would be during that time, you know, to see if they saw Mike. So, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that anything, like, sinister is going on with the police in this case, but, like, they definitely dropped the ball, as far as I'm concerned. You know, like, <laughs> again, I mean, they're, 
they could be hiding all of this. They could have done some research into it and just found nothing and then just didn't feel the need to share why. Again, that's not uncommon of police to not share information even years after the fact. But, you know, again, I just still found that weird. And I found that to be, you know, just a gross mishandling on their part, personally. You know? I just feel like it was really lazy to not... Again, this is if they didn't do it. If they did, and we just don't know about it, then good. I'm glad that they did. But from my information, I can't confirm that. So, like I said, it's just... If they didn't, that's really fucking annoying. A year after Michael's disappearance, police released a sketch of a man who supposedly witnesses said that they saw walking around the dorm at 4.30 that morning. You know, when Mike was out high-fiving his neighbor. (laughs) So, there was a sketch of this white male. He's in his mid-30s with a stocky belt. And they said he stood possibly around 5 foot 8-ish. Now, police released this sketch saying that the man was not a suspect, but they would like to speak with him to see if he saw anything. Now, I mean, it's a year later. I don't know why. Because, you know, they interviewed all of these students and faculty and such at the campus. So it's not like they didn't know about this suspect beforehand. Or at least that I could find. So the fact that this is a year after the fact is a little like, what the fuck? Like, why did you wait so long to release this sketch? Also, though, I think that the police were lying and I think they do find that person to be a suspect because I mean it's creepy as fuck why is a 35 ish year old guy walking around the halls of a college dorm like especially if they don't go there which technically I mean we don't know you know but it seems like the witnesses that pointed this guy out or like said that they saw this person didn't recognize him and I feel like if you know if he did live in the building the other students there like, would know about him. Like, part of me feels like, you know, that would have been, like, gossip around the dorm. Like, oh, yeah, there's this older dude who lives at the dorms with us. You know, he's in school, blah, 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 blah. But it didn't seem like anyone recognized him from that. They just were like, oh, this dude was here. Which I'm also curious about, like, how (laughs) the security was. That's cool. Because it doesn't seem like there was a security guard at the at a front desk in this hall checking IDs. You know, I mean, this guy could have also slipped by, but still, you know, how did he get in the building? But like I said, I think part of me believes that the police were lying and just wanted him to come forward. Because obviously, if you say like, oh, yeah, we're looking for this suspect, the possibility of them running is greater. But... Again, I don't find it very believable to be like, hey, we we think you're a witness and we just want to talk to you. I'm not, I don't, I'm not buying that. Now, sadly, and I hate to say unsurprisingly, with that, no one came forward. Despite the lack of evidence, police do suspect foul play. There has not been any charges or changes to any of Michael's financial accounts. So there haven't been any charges or withdrawals or anything to Michael's credit cards, his bank accounts, or any membership cards that he had. 
In 2013, one of Michael's younger brothers named Stephen came forward. He claimed that Michael had started going to raves and was trying recreational drugs such as ecstasy in the months before his disappearance. It is stated that he believes that his brother could have been under the influence when he was abducted or that drugs were the reason for his abduction. Mary and Miguel Negret have hired PIs to look into Michael's case and unfortunately they have not been able to turn up anything new. I saw somewhere that Michael's case has gone cold, but I I can't confirm that. So I don't know if it's active or cold. But either way, I kind of just want to go over Michael's description and, you know, let you know who to call if you have any information about Michael's whereabouts. So Michael Negret is white and Hispanic. He is five foot eight and weighs 130 pounds. And just remember, this is at the time of his disappearance. So things might have changed since then, but these are just the basic descriptions from when, from when he disappeared. He has a medium complexion and has brown hair and brown eyes. At the time of his disappearance, he had a crew cut and no facial hair. He was last seen wearing khaki shorts and a blue plaid shirt. I will have pictures on Instagram of him as well. Um, And if you have any information regarding Michael's case, you can call the UCLA Police Department at 310-825-1491. Or you can contact the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department at 323-890-5500. Again, if you have any information about Michael's disappearance, I urge you to just reach out because... No family should have to live in this hell of a limbo, you know, of not knowing what had happened to their child or to their loved one in general. No family should have to wonder what happened to their loved one who disappeared. So, you know, if you know something, come forward. You can do it anonymously. But that is all I have for you guys today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Please stay safe and healthy out there. I will do my best to get next week's episode out on time. And I say that with all the uncertainty (laughs) that is running through my brain right now. But I am going to do my best, I promise. But if you have not already, please follow the Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia or the Twitter at TC and Academia. I post updates on episodes and, you know, pictures and stuff like that. So make sure you follow those accounts so that way you can stay in the know. Also, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom so you can get your hands on bonus episodes. This month, I have released the Lindenberg Baby, even though it's the last day of the month. Um, The Lindenberg Baby is September's true crime bonus episode. So if you want to listen to that, you need to become a subscriber. Next month's episode, or well, yeah, next month, (laughs) meaning tomorrow, it is going to be spooky theme related, Um, you know, because it's going to, it's October, spooky season. I'm not going to not do that. So the cases might be a little different, um, but the Patreon bonus episode for subscribers is definitely going to be spooky halloween themed so if you want to get your hands on that like i said go to ivory tower or go to patreon.com go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room 
And until next time, guys, I will see you later. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Welcome to the fall season. The Ivory Tower Boiler Room is a public humanities podcast where we interview writers, scholars, performers, and artists. Episodes air on Mondays. I am Andrew Rimby, the executive director. I'm so happy to welcome my team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor, Kimberly Dallas, our editor, and an amazing fall group of interns. Thank you to this team. Please follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Easy to remember. Our Twitter is at Ivory Boiler Room. And we have a whole new design for our Patreon. It is called the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe because you're joining us and eavesdropping on our conversations that are unedited videos of all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes as if you're eavesdropping in a cafe overhearing the conversation. Well, talking about overhearing a conversation, hi, Mary. Hello, Andrew, and hello, everyone. I'm Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime and Academia, a podcast, well, a true crime podcast that is focused mainly on the crimes committed by and to those in the field of academia. Episodes air every Tuesday at noon. You can follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia and on Twitter at TC and Academia because Twitter hates extra characters, as we all know. And as Andrew alluded to earlier, we have a Patreon and True Crime and Academia has exclusive bonus episodes for subscribers. As a true crime enthusiast, I don't necessarily like to pigeonhole my true crime interests. So over on the Patreon, I cover some of the more high profile cases not related to academia, such as the murder of John Benet Ramsey and the case of Casey Anthony. So if you want access to videos like that, go over to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber. Thank you all for joining us. And here's to an amazing fall season. Bye, Bye everyone.